Welcome to True Crit, the music podcast where John Digital and I, Lizzie Benito, nerd out about artists that we love. This season, we're talking about Steely Dan. Their second album, Countdown to Ecstasy. Difficult second album, difficult second podcast. This is our third attempt, <laughs> thanks to Audio Gremlins. So if you sound a little bit jaded, it's because we are. We've got this. This one's, this one's going in the can. I tell you one thing, I did find out something quite interesting and comforting actually about Countdown to Ecstasy is that they had trouble recording Boston Rag and there was some of Denny's guitar that just didn't come out on the tape. Oh, no way. And it turned out, because they sent the tape off to 3M for testing and it turned out there was a tiny bit of mustard on the tape. (laughs) So there you go. Fun fact for you. Just having... It's probably like a bagel, like a salt beef bagel. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Countdown to Ecstasy. What a jump forward from Can't Buy a Thrill. Yeah, very, very large leap. Where you said about Difficult Second Album, this kind of bucks that trend, really. It does. It really does. A lot of bands write their first record when they're like really hungry and they want success. And, you know, they've got everything to give. But it almost feels like the first record's just a rehearsal for this record. Yeah, totally. Totally. And there's a bunch of themes that start in this album as well that begin to propel you into the discography later on Yeah, as well, which particularly one song, which we'll get to later, that I'm really excited to talk about. The the beginning of this record, how this record opens, is quite full on. It's quite an astonishing song as well. Yes. So- I love it. Bodhisattva just opens with that amazing snare drum hit. You don't really know what's going to happen. And then they all just kick in. Yeah, and it's it's not something you expect either because it's kind of like bebop, isn't it? Yeah, it's got a 50s feel to it, this song. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And there's a couple of little sort of 50s tinges in this album as well. Full on bebop, not what you're expecting at all. And the theme as well, because I went off on one massively on this album, researching it and getting my head around the lyrics. And and I haven't really analysed anything for a really long time. So I kind of fell into a hole of overanalyzing things a little bit (laughs) and I can manage to convince myself that this song was about heroin but it's not about heroin it's a bit of a piss take isn't it it's just about getting your shit together in the country (laughs) (laughs) and heroin and maybe a little bit of no it's just a massive piss take about this sort of faux obsession with the far east Don and Walt are just saying come on guys you're either hippies or you're capitalists you can't be both. Yeah, you can't be both. And it's very superficial as well in its analysis of how people understand Eastern culture. And even just the word Eastern as well, that's me being lazy too. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it is, it's incredibly superficial. It's just like this basic understanding of, oh, I want to reach enlightenment and, oh, I'm just going to sell my house. And it's not <laughs> as simple as that when at I, all. When I listen to this record today just to kind of so it was properly in my head still i actually thought that maybe it's almost like the person the protagonist of the song is boasting to like bodhisattva 
that he's doing all these things to like get himself in that right frame of mind. And ultimately, I don't think Bodhisattva would give a shit. No, I don't think Bodhisattva would give a shit because Bodhisattva isn't completely enlightened, but has just chosen to stay on earth to enlighten others. Yeah. But it's got my favourite and incredible couplet in it, the shine of your Japan, the sparkle of your China, which is what made me think of heroin because of China white, blah, 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 (laughs) selling everything. Can you show me? But yeah, it's not. It's a massive piss take. There's another piss take sort of song later on in the album as well. So it's there's a bit of a theme forming, I think. Starting to get that wry, sarcastic tone that that is kind of part of the Steely Dan sound. Totally. But it's totally part of their sound. Yeah. You don't get more cynical than Steely Dan. (laughs) No, you you really don't. (laughs) But what I love about what I love about this song in particular is how live it sounds. Yeah, and how kind of untamed it sounds, especially towards the end. I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that they were touring "Can't Buy a Thrill" when they recorded this album. And when you understand that, you can you can hear how tight they are as a band. I can just imagine them just jamming away, playing this song together all together in a studio and then just kind of letting themselves go when it ends it ends in an almost kind of stadium finish it's got a massive crescendo hasn't it yeah foot on the monitors plectrum aloft type thing and you can imagine the crowd cheering as it finishes I wouldn't put it past them to put crowd cheering in the background. <laughs> oh, I don't know, though, because we start to get a glimpse of them being studio perfectionists on this record. Yes, we do. And even in their mistakes, inverted commas. It's all calculated. <laughs> it totally is. I love them for it. It's amazing. <laughs> when I started to think about that couplet, the shrine of your Japan, sparkling your China, I was just like, I really want to get that. First of all, it felt quite messy because sparkling your China is obviously like china wear and yes then i was like well if they're making a reference to that then shine of your japan are they talking about the sun in the japanese flag Uh... or are they talking about japanese pottery which is one of the first examples of like pottery in the world they started doing it in that area so it's like this whole thing like a history lesson and an english lesson combined in one I love that you went down that rabbit hole, John. That's you went down a pottery rabbit hole. Yeah, I didn't yeah. even know that about J- J- Japanese pottery. Yeah, it's, it goes back a long way. Wow, you learn something new every day. There we go. Especially when you're, <laughs> especially when you're picking apart a Steely Dan song. And also the next song, actually, Razor Boy, across the hiatus between this and our original recording, which didn't go too well. I found the sleeve notes for a re-released version of Countdown to Ecstasy because I think you and I have have struggled to get our head around the meaning of Razor Boy a little bit. Yeah, it's obviously about drugs and I thought maybe like Razor Boy chopping up a line or Razor Boy maybe being death or is that the same thing, the death and the dealer are the same thing? So 
I had this image of death. Ingmar Bergman style Seventh Seal standing on the beach when he talks about Razor Boy. I found the sleeve notes from the re-released album and I'm just going to read them to you because I'll be honest, they've confused me even more. <laughs> so Razor Boy, the legendary giant girlfriend of the Camden, New Jersey area, sees the spectre of Benny King as a child in a nightmare of cosmic proportions. Wowzers. <laughs> like... What the fuck? Did you go down further into this rabbit So hole? I have been trying to find, I was thinking, who's the giant girlfriend? Is the giant girlfriend a gangster? Is the giant girlfriend a large girlfriend in their history in terms of their actual girlfriends? Because then the giant girlfriend is mentioned in the sleeve notes about another song later on, oh, wow. which has confused the life out of me. So I've been trying to find out who this giant girlfriend is because this giant girlfriend is mentioned on fan sites and blogs across the internet, but I cannot get to the bottom of who this giant girlfriend is. We talked about this being potentially about drugs, being about death. Well, there's this idea of that I had of it being a little bit like the Wild World song by Cat Stevens. It It's not great when you're out there in the wide world. Your pretty face won't last for long, you know, on your own out there, which that was the kind of the vibe I was getting from that particular song. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a real head scratcher, this one. Especially now I've found out this giant girlfriend thing. And the Benny King as a child in a nightmare of cosmic proportions. <laughs> I feel like I might have confused the life out of you, John. That definitely makes this song even more mysterious. <laughs> And it already I know, right? was. We have like the reference to women in cages. Yes. And I wasn't sure if that was, you know, like a kept woman or if he was talking about strippers. Yeah. I guess the song is saying you're living the high life, but there is a cost to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how the women in cages analogy in terms of a woman in a cage being a kept woman or being a housewife links in with that idea, I yeah. think. Yeah, because they will never live the life that they could. They will never exactly. get to their potential. Because of and they stuff, can yeah. play down the things they lose. Yes. Yeah. And the Women in Cages line is repeated like three times. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Which makes me think that's quite significant. Yeah. I guess only women in cages can play down. But then you never know, they might have just chucked it in as a red herring. <laughs> the wily bastards. I love the bossa nova vibe of this song. Oh, I think it's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite a departure, I think, from the rest of the album. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's got a beautiful slide guitar in it. Do you know what? I wrote slide guitar in capitals on my notes <laughs> for this album because it comes out an awful lot. Yeah. Across this hiatus where we've been trying to find a time to re-record this episode. I've been thinking an awful lot about how this album in certain places is country jazz fusion. Yeah. And if anyone's going to do country jazz fusion, it's going to be Steely Dan because it sounds like an absolute nightmare on paper. Around that period, there was quite a lot of what they call cosmic country. Yeah. So I guess you could put this against some of those examples. Yeah. 
it's got a vibraphone solo in it as well. I know, I know. It's amazing. Really, and the guy that plays that, Victor Feldman, he actually plays on every single Steely Dan record. Does he? Yeah. In the first run of them, I don't think he plays on the two reunion records. Mm-hmm. And he's like proper bona fide jazz cat played with them all played with miles davis wow so that's kind of like a pretty cool thing for them because they obviously really really love jazz i think they do love they do love jazz (laughs) and and the way that they sort of start to develop the brand almost of cd dan and having donald and walter as like the nucleus and then bringing in all these different musicians is so jazz so jazz it's so jazz, man. <laughs> so oh. we're on to Boston Rag. Boston Rag. So my favourite fact about this song is they're talking about Lonnie was the kingpin. Lonnie was a real person that I've discovered. And um, Lonnie was a sandwich guy who used to turn up at the Bard College dormitories in the middle of the night and flog everyone's sandwiches and drinks when they were all really stoned. I like to imagine that he was remembered incredibly fondly by Donald and Walter, so they immortalised him in a song about him taking loads of drugs and passing out for two days. (laughs) But I, I love that fact about Lonnie. He sounds like a pretty cool guy. He does sound quite a cool guy. Yeah. Because they call him they call him the linchpin, don't they? Yeah. Which is quite a compliment, I guess. He must have been an important person in their gang. I think there's a business idea here, to be honest with you, John. I think rocking up at universities with a truck full of snacks <laughs> for wasted students. Where else can you get snacks from apart from leaving and going to the local Londis? Do students still get wasted, though? I, I, I have, don't know. I have a view that students are just really boring these days. I like to think they do, because I'm concerned that this next generation will not take drugs until they hit their kind of 40s and 50s. By the time that we are elderly people and need looking after and they're all going to be trashed. I'll just get trashed with him. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah. You're going to be the sandwich guy. <laughs> The old dude. Yeah, the old dude. Rocking up with your pre-packed tuna mayos. I hope not. (laughs) Sounds quite tragic when I think about it as my own future. Well, you might get free drugs. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, I guess. Not that we condone taking drugs. We really don't condone taking drugs. (laughs) (laughs) But this song, uh, it's very nostalgic. I feel overall this whole record is very nostalgic. Yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia in this album. I think My Old School later on yes. is the peak yeah. of the nostalgia. But I think, I can't remember which way round it was because the lyrics in the verse to Boston Rag are a little bit disjointed. And I think it was either Walter wrote the verse and Donald wrote the chorus or the other way around. Right, okay. So it doesn't necessarily flow yeah. all that well in terms of the, you know, what they're talking about. But the idea is there, bring back the Boston rag to your buddies that it ain't no drag. And even the chorus and the way he sings it, it's like almost yearning Yeah. for the Boston rag. Because I don't think the Boston rag is a paper. I don't think it's a song. 
I think it's a time and a place. Yeah, like um, a vibe. Yeah, an experience yeah. that they had when they were younger. Bring back the Boston Bash. Tell all your buddies that it ain't no crash. Bring back the Boston Bash. Yeah, because I got caught up in the whole, like, is it a newspaper? Is it a dance? I think looking at it and it just being a time and a place that you could just give a name to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, you know? and it, it ain't no drag, yeah. I think, as well. It's like, you know, it was easy then. Lonnie used to bring us sandwiches and he passed out for two days. And it really builds up this track. Don's vocals get really high energy for him. <laughs> they do. And then the breakdown and the solo before the last chorus yeah. is just... It's another one of those songs that kind of takes you by surprise. Yeah, but it does feel like quite an epic song. I put that the guitar solo was chunky. Yes, <laughs> it is chunky. And it's just... That's a good word. The whole song just has a great groove to it. I really... It's a song that I always look forward to when I listen to this record. Yeah, this one line I particularly like, and I don't know why, and it's at the start when he says, I was out of my mind and you were on the phone. Oh, yeah. I just love it. I don't yeah. know why. There's something I think it's really... A, the delivery of it yeah. is really... Yeah. It just feels magical. The mm. opening of this song and, and these kind of setting a scene. Yeah. It's, it just feels... You can kind of put yourself into it. You can. You can. Easily. Oh, Boston Rag. Boston Rag. Can we talk about your gold teeth? Yeah. Your gold teeth. This is the one that delayed the original recording of this podcast for like three days because <laughs> I fell into such a massive hole getting my head around this song. Because again, originally, I thought this was about heroin. Yeah. I think there's an element of heroin use in this song, perhaps. I think the monkey woman lyric yeah. towards the end, that's what kind of made me think the most that it was about heroin. Because obviously getting the monkey off your back. Yeah. Quitting it's... heroin. This is the first long song by Steely Dan. Because I think yeah. it comes in just over six minutes. Yeah. It's near, well, no, I think it's nearer seven minutes. Is it nearer it? to seven? Okay. Yeah, nearer seven minutes long, which is brilliant. Yes. As a progressive rock fan, I'm, you know, <laughs> That's not... short for you. <laughs> that is short for me, yeah. The, just the opening of this song <clears throat> just has this amazing jazz riff awesomeness. And you don't know what's going to happen after it. It just has this mm. amazing orchestrated opening. Mm. 
then we're just in this place where woman's kind of trading on her reputation a little bit and maybe a little bit desperate. And Don is wondering if she ever gets as desperate enough that she's going to take her teeth out and gamble with those. Yeah. And I think Donald's voice on this song is the best on the whole album because of how he sings the verses, almost like there's so much disdain Yes. In his voice. Yeah. Like he's seen it all before. And he even says, The Killing Floor is a reference to a 12 bar blues song, Killing Floor. Yeah. Which is about a woman who is trying to suppress her, her male partner. Yeah. Then that leads into fastening up your beaded gown. Then you try to tie me down. And later on, he talks about monkey woman. And that, again, is slang for the same kind of thing. This woman who is just trying to take you for everything you've got, take all your money, crush your spirit. But the way he sings the song... He knows, and you can hear it in his voice, he knows what she's like. He's seen it all before, and he's just like, do you know what? Fuck off, love. I've I know you're kind. They are so fucking horrible to women. They are. They like, are. Women do get a real short shrift in Steely Dan songs. They do, but it's almost like they've got a huge chip on their shoulders. Yeah, you get the impression that they were always outside looking in mm. and then just thinking... I'm not interested, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just oh, that isn't for us. Mm -hmm. And just being really condescending. Yeah, incredibly condescending. This is one of the holes I fell down. When he sings, you throw out your gold teeth. The disdain in his voice is palpable. And then he says, do you see how they roll? You throw out your gold teeth. Do you see how they And I was like, see how they roll. Where's that from? And then I realised it's see how they run from Three Blind Mice. Nice, nice. Which is a nursery rhyme, which is like, you silly girl. Yeah, I do think it's like really bad where we just had like the previous song where they're kind of looking back rose-coloured glasses at some guy that would just go around looking for all the drugs in the rec room. Yeah. And just being like, ah, oh, wasn't it funny that he was asleep for two days? <laughs> And then the next song, they're just like, oh, you're like an evil, wicked woman. Yeah. And you're not going to pull the trick on me. Yeah. However, the Kathy Barbarian Kathy bit, Barbarian, like, Jesus. what the hell, guys? <laughs> what the hell? Now, did you go and listen to the song and hear the the bum note that I talked about? No, I didn't. So when they sing about Kathy Barbarian knows, there's one roulade she can't sing. There's a bum note. And it, it's like, there's one real large she can't sing. Bing! Even Kathy Barbarian knows there's one real large she can't sing. And it's completely out of, I probably sang that in tune by accident. And it happens twice in the song. Because when I heard it originally, I was like, oh, that's a massive cock up. And I thought, hang on, <laughs> this is Steely Dan. They'd never do anything like that by accident. And I'm still trying to work out the significance of that single bum note on that song but it just jars you. We both ended up listening to Kathy Barbarian. Yes, we did. And she's got an amazing voice. She has got an amazing voice. And avant-garde doesn't even like no. scratch the surface of how <laughs> how avant-garde she is. 
I'd listen to her covers of Beatles songs. Yeah, because she's got like a whole record of Beatles covers, which is yeah. pretty weird. Which is, yeah, wild. We all live in the yellow submarine, yellow submarine, yellow submarine. We all live in the yellow submarine, yellow submarine, yellow submarine. I read that Stravinsky had written for her and John Cage had written for her. I went into those songs and they were fucking weird. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to check that out, please yeah. feel free yeah, get, to broaden your musical horizons. Get on some Cafe Bavarian, definitely. <laughs> I love how richly layered this song is. Yeah. And lost count of how many different organs I could hear in it. I think there's a Rhodes. I think there might be a Hammond in there as well. Yeah. And just how it's arranged and how beautifully layered it is because they just work with each other so incredibly well yeah and there's such freshness to it there's such a freshness to the song and a freshness to the recording i just can't stop listening to this song because you hear so many different things every single time you listen to it yeah it's a song that just keeps giving isn't it yeah it really does and And it fades out as well because like i say i can't imagine they wanted to stop playing this song i think they were just so into it and it's the end of side a what an ending to a side yeah you kind of just let the record go in, into the dead wax and just be like, wow, that was amazing. Onto side B. Onto side B. Opening, with an iconic track. Opening with, I kind of feel like it's an angry song. I do too. It Just everything about it, like the, just that opening guitar riff, it's just got a real heavy, angry vibe to it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of disdain in this song. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly difficult to work out what they're singing about. No. It's yeah. pretty obvious. The lyrics on this definitely aren't mercurial no. in any shape or form. No, like, no. It, it's basically fuck you, rich kids. Yeah. You've got nothing to worry about. It almost is like a callback to Bodhisattva mm-hmm. and just yeah. about people that just have so much money and they just live in a completely different world to everybody else. Yep. The first vocals that we hear is you go to Last Wages, Lost Wages. Lost Wages. So Lost Wages was a joke by Lenny Bruce and that's where they got the idea from and I feel like that's kind of slipped into popular culture, the Lost Wages thing. But isn't kind of mispronounced at certain points in the recording? Yeah, I got into that whole thing, whether it was like Last Wages, Lost Wages, Outrageous... I think sometimes some of the backing singers are singing different words, so yeah. it all kind of melds together. Yeah. And then at certain points, you just pick out a different word. Quite a slippery snake to get hold of. But it compels you to listen to it. Yes. Yeah, it does. It's just like a pulse like through the whole song. Yes. And... Of course, this was sampled by the Super Furry Animals for The Man That Give a Fuck. Yeah. I think it's sampled really well in that song. I think it is. Just to pull that line out, don't yeah. give a fuck about anyone else. 
Yeah. And he, I love the second verse. I love the whole thing where they say about they got the Steely Dan t shirt. Yeah. That didn't exist. That didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't exist. They got the Sheffield Bodies. They got the Steely Dan t shirt. I'd like to start a blog of misheard Steely Dan lyrics because I thought it was for a long time Chevrolet bodies. Ah. But it's shapely. It's shapely, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is shapely. Because there's a whole bunch of misheard lyrics that I've got for Steely Dan songs. But yeah, so I was thinking, got the Chevrolet bodies. <laughs> oh, a lovely Chevrolet body. <laughs> um, but it's shapely, isn't it? That yeah. makes more sense, doesn't it? Can we just quickly talk about the names that they generally have given their backing singers it kind of bothers me because obviously these women have real names and they're credited with their real names in the albums but when they're talked about they're given really weird names so they're called things like Gloria Granola and Jenny Saul I'm sure it's like done in jest but to me it's almost like othering them yeah do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. When you read a lot of interviews or articles about them from back in the 70s, yeah. they usually say names are approximate when they're talking about their backing singers because obviously they're quite predominant in this song. And it's like, yeah. guys, come on. It's really out of order. But yeah, Jenny Granola. <laughs> Sorry, Gloria Granola. Imagine that. Imagine performing on an album like that and then being called Gloria Granola as a joke. Yeah, it's, it's not very nice to women, are they? Damn you, Dan. That's kind of a downfall a little bit. Yes, yes. And this moves beautifully on to the next song, My Old School, which is yet another whinge about a girl. <laughs> and it's a very specific whinge, My Old yes, School, it is. isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's another nostalgic number from them. Yeah, just straight back at school again. Totally. And this is based on a true story, a hilarious caper that happened to them when they were raided at their college dorm and they got arrested along with one of their girlfriends. So the sleeve notes I found, the confusing sleeve notes I found, says about this song, a poignant memoir inspired by the giant girlfriend. Again, the giant girlfriend from Razorboy. Mm. Sometimes referred to as the Anima Camden. <laughs> like what? I mean, yeah. So this giant girlfriend must be like a significant person in their lives. Yeah. And do we know if it was Don or Walt? I don't know. I'd have to do some more digging. It's I just, could probably find it out. Yeah. Because basically in this song, they get caught and then he's saying, oh, come on, we'll just run away to South America. Yes. But she's a fancy rich girl. It's always the rich girls. It's always the fancy rich girls. And she's not interested. And oh no, Guadalajara won't do. What a line. <laughs> you actually sent that to me as a text message <laughs> when I was doing my shopping in the co-op and I was actually <laughs> listening to the song at the time. Psychic. And it really, really spammed me out. 
So it's like, do you know that I'm listening to this song? I think that's what I messaged to you. I really didn't. Because you can see on Spotify what people yeah. are listening to. And I really didn't know you were listening to that. Yeah, it was good. It's opened our third eye, John. It has. But it's just a great song. It's It's a great song. So um, this is another little kind of rabbit hole I went down on over the the little break we've had. Because I was thinking this really sounds like something from a film soundtrack. It wouldn't sound too far out of place on Grease 2. Yeah. It's kind of got a bit of a schoolhouse rock vibe. So you know those shonky 1970s educational cartoons? Yeah. Like the American Constitution and things like that. It's kind of got that vibe to it. And we talked about this before we started doing the podcasts about the first album, the first kind of unofficial Steely Dan album, which is a film soundtrack called You Gotta Walk It Like You Talk It, which wasn't released under the moniker of Steely Dan. It was just released as Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. And this My Old School song sounds quite heavily influenced, I think, by the first song from that original album they did. It's kind of got this sort of 1970s, almost kind of storytelling type vibe to it. Yeah. Ain't no man can tell you. The first album had like hints of... Mm. It tells a story. It's got that amazing brass section in yeah, it. Yeah, it's got some and really nice talks, warm work in it. Yeah, yeah, when the California tumbles into the sea and then the brass tumbles down after that line. Oh, amazing. California tumbles into the sea. That'll be the day I go back to Wendell. They're just so good at arranging a song. They really are. Yeah, I just love this song. I really love it. It's so sunny and it's gorgeous, but they do have a massive chip on their shoulder. Yes. And they never really get over it because even by the time we get to Gaucho, they'll still have a chip on their shoulder. They've got the ump, haven't they? Yeah. There was an interview in Melody Maker in 1976 where Walter was talking about how they were subsidised to attend Bard College. Right. And Walter said, it took me a long time to realise that too. Basically, it took him a long time to realise that they were poor compared mm. to the other kids. Why everyone else had Porsches and cigarettes. There is an element of that in this song, but he's met this rich girl and he just isn't good enough for her because he doesn't have the cash that all the other kids at school have. Yeah. And I think it's quite apparent in this song about this this chip on his shoulder, but also the, the rich girl on tour trope as well, which is similar to like common people yeah i think we've talked about this before like you know she doesn't actually have to worry about anything because her dad will just bail her out Mm. and it's yeah it's this kind of negative female trope as well that they talk about a lot in this song which um is a a real shame because it's a banger it's a banger as as we're talking about them having a chip on their shoulder with women we get quite a twisted love song next oh this is so sad (laughs) it's so sad this breaks my heart this song it's another one of those songs sounds a little bit jolly and then you read the lyrics (laughs) and you're just like this is not in any way jolly no it's not jolly at all so bad for him in love with a prostitute in new orleans he thinks that she's gonna be there for him in the end 
she'll see the error of her ways but it doesn't happen it doesn't happen and it's so sad and it's the lines Oh, it's so tragic. It's a tragic male protagonist yeah. is back. Yeah. He's back. He's apparent. Yes. Another beautiful bit of sly guitar in this yeah. song as well. And they've still got that country tinge yes. in this song. It's not really particularly befitting a song about New Orleans because New Orleans is more of a jazz town. Yeah, much more of a jazz town. Maybe they did that to contrast, I don't know. Ah, maybe they did. Hey, think about that. That's nice. (laughs) We'll say for the record, they did. That's exactly what they did. That's what they did, yes. It's juxtaposing. (laughs) There you go. We've got the word juxtaposition in already. Amazing. This is highbrow critique. Yeah, no doubt. I said in episode one, this is going to be GCSE level (laughs) analysis. We're there. Yeah. We might even broach A-level. Imagine that. We might do. (laughs) They have a reference in this where it says, (gasps) voulez-voulez-vous, which Lady Marmalade hadn't come out at this point. No. And obviously... Abba hadn't written the absolute banger. Banger. So there's three songs that that all mention the uh, French for asking people if they want to come and sleep with you. Yeah, voulez-vous. It's interesting how they talk about the statue of the martyr. Yeah, do you know what that is? It's Joan of Arc. Yeah, there's a statue of Joan of Arc in New Orleans. Have you ever been to New Orleans? No, I haven't. Oh, I really want to go. Yeah, we should go. Yeah, we should go. We should go on the funds that we get from this yeah. podcast. All the um, all the adverts that we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have to do sponsored content for Squarespace. Squarespace is an underwear advert as well that I always hear. And mattresses. Yes. Yeah. The Emma mattress. Yeah. We'll, we'll get the mattress money. There we go. We'll go to New Orleans on our mattress money. Yes. Yes. Sign us up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Pearl of the Quarter. Very sad song. It does really break my heart. And the way he sings it as well. His voice on this album is just so much more accomplished, I think. I think he's much more confident in his performance. And it's so frustrating. He's so confounding because he just has zero confidence in his voice. He's constantly trying to get other people to take over. Like he tried to get Michael McDonald to take over singing later on. Oh, yeah. later on. All right. I yeah, yeah, yeah. You imagine Michael McDonald singing one of these Steely Dan songs. Yeah, it wouldn't work. No, it wouldn't work. And obviously Michael McDonald's the OG. Yeah. There's a lot of overdubbing of his vocals on this yeah. record that I really notice when I hear it. And he's singing, yeah. you know, he's harmonising with himself. He's singing high parts, singing low parts. There's a lot to his voice that you you wouldn't have thought of hearing the first record. No. Although he still didn't have confidence, there is a leap of artistry, I would say, mm-hmm. in his vocals yes. on this record. And, it, and, yes. and I think that's something that really contributes to the giant leap from Can't Buy a Thrill. Yeah. The biggest, most exciting development in this album is the song King of the World. Yeah, here we go. Last track of the records. 
And they're all just sitting around. Don and Walt turn into the studio and be like, dudes, we could do a song about an apocalyptic nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's classic Dan. Yeah. Let's talk about, it's science fiction. Yeah. And this is one of the main reasons why I fucking love this band is their songs about weird science fiction shit. It's brilliant. It's one of my favourite things people singing about. It's a real departure from their usual sound as well. There's a yeah. lot more, there's synthesizers here, like yeah. there's mad effects on the guitar that they're using. When I was listening to this, there was a little voice in the back of my head saying, this reminds you of something, this reminds you of something. And it's John Martin. Right. That guitar at the start and then that kind of like really reverby kind oh, of yeah yeah it's from the album solid air and it's the song i'd rather be the devil yes devil got my woman it's that one yeah I worked out the dates as well because that John Martin album came out like about seven, six, seven months before this one. Right, okay. Obviously, I'm not saying that they're influenced by John Martin, but there is a real kind of similar vibe to what John Martin was doing with the Luke tools and all the crazy effects and stuff. And obviously, it's freaky enough. Like it's what, I don't know, what would you call it? Prog folk, John Martin? Yeah, you could call it progressive folk. Does it pass to John Digital (laughs) Prog Test? My dad had John Martin. Did he have John Martin at his folk club or did he? he passed him over he either had him and didn't bother telling us oh no he did have him he didn't tell me and my brother because he he thought he was too far out (laughs) (laughs) amazing it's too far out for some people folkies are such hardliners aren't they my daddy's in particular my dad's mortal enemies list is very long (laughs) it's like donovan's at the top oh wow honestly bob dylan's number two i think because you went electric. No, because he just hates the way he sings. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Apocalyptic nightmare. King of the world. It's fantastic. Yes. It's the first time the sci-fi streak appears. It would sound really well placed on the Royal Scam, I think, this yeah. album. I think it's almost like goes really hand in hand with Signing Stranger. Yeah. And it's such a significant song. And, and like a lot of their songs as well, it's incredibly jolly. But then you listen to the words and it's like, yes, we're all going to die. Isn't it great? <laughs> Every man for his own. Totally. Um, it's just so, but- there's so much great imagery in this song just every verse is just beautiful the chorus is amazing mm-hmm. I, I just love the words to this like the last verse the second half of the last verse where he says there's no need to hide taking things the easy way if i stay inside i might live till saturday it's a cheerful one yeah of course as well talking about the Rio Grande which has some significance because that's the first place nuclear weapons test took place nice which is obviously you know that's probably what they're talking about is there's been some horrendous 
nuclear apocalypse mm. and they're listening to stuff on the ham radio and they're reading last week's papers or last year's papers and what's the line about the marigolds no marigolds, marigolds in a promised land yes yes it's just great i love it i kind of want it to be turned into a graphic novel or yeah, something yeah it could couldn't it it's so visual yeah and how it's described you can imagine it oh and also what I love about this song as well is it's got the radio effects as well in it yeah, you can hear stuff like in the back you can't yeah. quite pick it out but there is something going on in the background towards the end of the mm-hmm. song isn't there yeah it's like they just went totally wild in the studio on this song I just thought fuck it let's throw everything at it let's get some crazy reverb going let's get some mad little loops on the guitars let's bring the synths up front let's just do something really self-indulgent yeah. and Bombastic. wacky turned out to be absolutely fucking brilliant and you know something they continue to do thematically for a long time yeah because we are going to have some other sci-fi songs as we move through the catalogue i can't wait it's my fave yeah and here we are at the end of the record ah it's a great record yeah some people say that this is like the best steely dan album no way i don't know if i necessarily agree with them but fucking hell again like the audacity of them yeah like the first album just a rock up right here we go album two bosh perfection Done. bye didn't even break mustard mustard on boston rag <laughs> oh do you know how they fixed that oh, they did how this did mad they fix it? so it was just like one note every so often it just wasn't playing so they did a thing called a window edit they made denny just play jabs of one note and then they managed to edit it back into the track wow doing this window edit thing how clever is that i tell you what i would have hated working in a time of tape yes because very stressful yeah there's a level of patience that you have to have yeah in the analog realm and yes that would not be for me i'm actually thinking now is boston rag and lonnie and his sandwiches and one of lonnie's sandwiches spilt mustard on the tape (laughs) for boston rag (laughs) amazing wouldn't that be funny yeah yeah anyway i I need to stop falling into steely down holes because let's go on the record and say that is what happened that's what happened official you heard it here first it was like um it was like Sid Barrett turning up at the recording of Wish You Were Here. <laughs> oh, I love it. We could make up any old shit, John. Yeah, I know we could. Know All we right. Could. We'll be back again for Pretzel Logic. <gasps> I'm excited about it, John. I'm equally excited about Pretzel Logic. There's a lot in there. There's a, there's a lot. And we will show you. We'll open the door on it and show you exactly what's going on. So thank you for listening. Rate us, give us five stars somewhere. Obviously. Tell all your friends in the mattress industry that we're <laughs> open for offers. And underwear. And underwear. Woo. And yeah, we'll smash it. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. We will be back again in two weeks' time to blow your mind even further. Take it easy. See ya. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.